Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Grace is on the Case. I'm Gracelyn Keller, and today I am bringing you part two of my FBI top 10 most wanted list update. If you haven't yet, go ahead and listen to part one first, as I covered fugitives 10 through 6 on the list there. Today we'll be counting down and covering fugitives 5 through 1. So let's get into it. And just another quick reminder, like last week, before we dive in, if you have any information that helps with the apprehension of these fugitives or the investigation of their cases, you can submit an anonymous tip at fbi.gov tips. If you think you recognize or have contact with any of the people discussed today, don't make contact with them, don't confront them. They are all considered to be armed and dangerous. Instead, please, please, please call law enforcement. All right, so number five on the top 10 most wanted list is Yulan Adonde Archaga Karias, the alleged leader of the Honduras MS-13, which is an international criminal gang that originated in Los Angeles. He was originally entered at number seven in November of 2021 after Robert William Fisher, an alleged family annihilator and arsonist who I covered last week was removed from the list because he was suspected to have committed suicide. Karius has since been moved up to number five. So when I first recorded in 2021, the number five spot belonged to Rafael Caro Quintero, an alleged high-ranking member of the Sinaloa cartel and the Caro Quintero drug trafficking organization based in Sinaloa, Mexico. He was wanted for a very, very long list of racketeering charges and for the 1985 kidnapping and murder of Drug Enforcement Administration Special Agent Enrique Camarena in Mexico. Caro Quintero was captured and arrested in July 2022 in Sinaloa, Mexico by the Mexican Navy. The U.S. sought immediate extradition but was blocked in August by a Mexican judge. Caro Quintero remains in custody in Mexico and has denied involvement in the 1985 murder, as well as his alleged involvement in high-level drug trafficking throughout Mexico. And that brings us back to our current number five fugitive, Yulan Adande Archega Carias. Carias is wanted for racketeering conspiracy, cocaine importation conspiracy, and possession and conspiracy to possess machine guns. As the Honduran leader of MS-13, Carius is connected to a wealth of criminal activity in the country that poses a direct threat to the national security of the United States. He also helped MS-13 grow in both Central America and the U.S. So I have heard of MS-13 before this, like I knew they were bad guys, but this isn't just your average street gang. The organization was started in Los Angeles in the 1980s by Salvadoran immigrants who had just fled the long and brutal civil war in their country. Its original intent was actually to protect the new immigrants from the violence of other gangs in the barrios of LA, but it quickly evolved into a more traditional looking criminal organization. And it's actually the only street gang to ever be classified as an organization, a criminal organization by the FBI. Many members who had been arrested were deported back to El Salvador in 1992 upon the conclusion of the civil war there, which only meant that the gang then spread internationally from there to Central America and Mexico. 
Now with over 1 million members across the world, MS-13 has become known as one of the most ruthless street gangs out there, specifically because of their focus on recruiting and utilizing minors in their operations. I literally felt sick reading this stuff as I researched, but MS-13 is well known for forced recruitment of minors, basically catching them while they're alone on their way to school or church or work. They are then forced to become a part of the gang through threats of violence on themselves or their families. And then once in, they can't leave and must do whatever the leaders tell them to for the same reasons. Because of this, a vast majority of the people arrested for violence and killings attributed to MS-13 are also minors. At least one faction of MS-13 in Los Angeles is known for their initiation ritual, murder. Without killing someone first, you can't become a full-fledged member. So yeah, atrocities across the board. And our friend Karius is the leader of the faction from Honduras. Now, his federal charges in the U.S. are centered around drug trafficking and weapons offenses, but it can be concluded from what we know about MS-13 that he also had a heavy hand in forcibly recruiting minors, as well as using them to commit murder and other violent acts. The reason the U.S. has charged him with these offenses is because they believe that he has been funneling both drugs and weapons into the country for MS-13 members located here. So Karius was actually arrested in 2015 in Honduras for money laundering and illicit association, which basically is a charge that means he's suspected to be part of a crime organization. But on February 13th, 2020, Karius was transported by van a few towns over from where he was being held for a court appearance. Once he had arrived at the court, a large group of men dressed in military police uniforms stormed the courthouse and grabbed Karius, retreating with him in a hail of gunfire. The men dressed in the military police uniforms are suspected to be MS-13 members, and the attack was labeled as a rescue of Karius, their leader. He's been a free man since this incident. Afterwards, it was revealed that many high-profile inmate transfer protocols were broken during Karius's travel to the courthouse, including transporting Karius by van instead of helicopter, which is what is normal protocol, and having fewer guards than required escorting him. The military police were also not notified of Karius's travel itinerary, which is a requirement in Honduras when a high-profile inmate leaves their prison for any reason. And this leads me to wonder, like, how many dirty law enforcement members have had a hand in this as well? The group absolutely needed multiple people on the inside to pull this off, and I'm sure they paid some people off or threatened them or whatever, but, but yeah, this was only able to happen because of corruption inside law enforcement. So in 2021, Karius was indicted on those federal drug and weapons charges in the U.S., and he was added to the most wanted list where he remains. He's thought to be hiding out somewhere in Central America, and he should be considered armed and extremely dangerous. As we come to number four, we've had a bit of shifting happen on the list. Back in 2021, the number four spot belonged to Eugene Palmer, who was wanted for his alleged involvement in the 2012 murder of his daughter-in-law outside of her home in Stony Point, New York. Palmer owned the property his son and his daughter-in-law resided at with their two children, and then he lived next door. The relationship between Palmer's son and daughter-in-law deteriorated over time, leading Palmer's daughter-in-law to threaten to divorce Palmer's son and sue Palmer for the home her and her family had been living in. 
Enraged by this, Palmer allegedly ambushed his daughter-in-law on her walk home from dropping her kids off at the school bus stop. He shot her and then fled in his pickup. His truck was found abandoned in the parking lot of nearby Harriman State Park, which is where he is believed to have taken off on foot, and no trace of him was found after that. In August 2021, shortly after my first recording, Palmer's granddaughter's home was actually raided in search of Palmer, but no trace of him was found there either. In March of 2022, the 10-year anniversary of the case approached, and Palmer was featured on the revival of America's Most Wanted, where authorities said that the 81-year-old could easily still be alive and hiding out off the grid thanks to his extensive knowledge of the outdoors. Palmer was removed from the most wanted list in July of 2022, and authorities deemed that he was no longer fitting of the criteria for being on the roster. There was no specific reason given beyond that, but if I had to guess, the FBI probably decided that there were more dangerous and pressing fugitives that needed the press coverage, similar to Fisher last week. Palmer's case had already gotten massive coverage in the 10 years that he was on the list, and there has still never been a confirmed sighting of him since the day of the murder. Plus, if he's still alive, he's approaching 83 years old. So while he is still a wanted man, it's questionable if he's still alive. And if he is, authorities believe he'd be hiding out in either Florida or the Anirondacks in upstate New York, where he has relatives. So back to the current list, occupying spot number four is Alexis Flores, who was actually in the number two spot back in 2021. He was moved down a bit, but he is still on the list, and for good reason. Flores is wanted for his alleged involvement in the kidnapping, sexual assault, and murder of a child in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Irania de Jesus was five years old when she was abducted in 2000. Flores was born in Honduras in 1975 and immigrated to the U.S. illegally sometime before 2000. It's unclear of when he actually did immigrate here, but in the summer of 2000, a Huntington Park, Philadelphia resident named George Contreras took in a homeless drifter who called himself Carlos. Contreras gave him shelter, clothing, and a job as a handyman. Then on July 28th, the same summer, five-year-old Arania de Jesus was reported missing. Five days later, on August 3rd, 2000, her body was discovered in the basement of an empty apartment building. De Jesus had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and then wrapped in a trash bag after being kidnapped by her attacker. There was also a t-shirt with a distinct political logo on it that had De Jesus' blood on it. The building that she was found in was on the same property that the drifter Carlos was believed to have been staying in. Police questioned the neighborhood and asked residents about the distinct t-shirt found at the scene. When Contreras was questioned, he recognized the shirt as one of the things that he had given Carlos after taking him in. He also noted that Carlos had not been seen in the area since DeJesus went missing. Then he prompted authorities to spread the word that Carlos was wanted for questioning in connection with the DeJesus case, and a sketch of him was created, which was profiled on America's Most Wanted. Unfortunately, nothing came of these efforts to track down Carlos. So all of that happened in 2000, and now I'm going to jump forward to 2002. In the years after DeJesus was initially found, no real forward motion had occurred in her case. There was no luck tracking down the mysterious Carlos, and by then police figured that it wasn't even a real name, meaning that they had no information on the actual guy. Now we're going to come back to our fugitive, Alexis Flores, and I promise all of this is connected, just bear with me. 
So Flores was arrested in 2002 for shoplifting, but managed to avoid the authorities discovering that he was undocumented. He ran out of luck in 2004, though, when police responded to a noise complaint at Flores' residence, which was now in Arizona. He provided the police with false identity documents, which is a felony, and the police arrested Flores for forged documents. Flores was incarcerated for 60 days, and then he was deported back to Honduras in June of 2005. Then, in 2006, long after his arrest, release, and deportation, police decided to enter Flores' DNA, which had been taken when he was arrested, into CODIS. Quick crash course for anyone unfamiliar with CODIS, I know I've talked about it on this podcast before, but it stands for Combined DNA Index System. Basically, it's a national database of a bunch of people's DNA. Police can use it to try and match DNA samples found at crime scenes to the DNA in the database. Because of privacy laws in the United States, not everyone's DNA is in there, of course, but it's become pretty standard to take samples from those convicted of felonies. So the database is mostly convicted felons, and then there are some exceptions as well. And then, of course, we have the unnamed DNA samples in there that have been collected from crime scenes but have not yet been matched to an actual person. So authorities entered Flores' DNA sample into CODIS, and at the time it didn't match to anything. But once they entered it, it was logged, and then it lived in that database for possible future use. And this came in handy when, in March of 2007, police in Huntington Park decided to enter the DNA found at the scene of DeJesus' murder into CODIS, and they got a match. I'm sure you can guess who the match was, but if you haven't figured it out already, that match was none other than Alexis Flores, who is believed to be the mysterious Carlos. Now, this is a big blow to police who literally had Flores in custody, but because he was deported to Honduras, police from the U.S. can't just go to Honduras and arrest him. He's, like, in another country now with their own laws and regulations. So on March 22, 2007, a local arrest warrant and a federal arrest warrant were issued for Flores for the charges of murder and various other felonies. Unfortunately, the U.S. and Honduras do not have an extradition treaty, so there isn't any way that authorities can file paperwork or go get Flores. Since they can't actually go find him, he was added to the most wanted list on June 2, 2007. And there was also an Interpol red notice issued for him as well. Presently, authorities believe that Flores is either still in Honduras or possibly back in the United States. He has ties to Phoenix, Arizona, and Schaumburg, Illinois, which he had stated was a previous residence at one point. And Flores has a host of known aliases as well, including Mario, Mario Roberto, Alex, Alessis, with an S, and he's also been known to use multiple birthdays, including July 18, 1975, July 18, 1982, September 15, 1980, and July 17, 1982. As far as defining features, he has a large scar across his right cheek, which is pretty distinctive. Flores is considered to be armed and extremely dangerous. I want to make that clear. So if you recognize him or any of the aliases or birthdays, uh, just contact police, y'all. Submit an anonymous tip. Don't engage with him. Moving along to number three, we have another new face. In 2021, spot number three was filled by Jose Rodolfo Villarreal Hernandez. Hernandez was wanted for the 2013 hit he had put out on lawyer Juan Jesus Guerrero Chapa, a Texas resident. I covered his case in the first part of this episode because he had just 
recently been captured and was bumped to spot number 10. So if you want to hear his full case, go ahead and listen to that episode. But here's just a really quick rundown. Um, he's a drug trafficker and is reportedly the leader of the Beltran Levia cartel, although his alleged drug smuggling activities were not why he was put on the most wanted list. Basically, it was alleged that he had sent two hitmen to track down and kill Chapa because he held Chapa personally responsible for the death of his father. So a couple people had been arrested over the years in connection with this hit, but Hernandez was still in the wind. On January 7th, 2023, he was captured by Mexican authorities, and he's currently being held in Mexico pending extradition to the U.S. So our current number three on the list is Omar Alexander Cardenas, who is wanted for murder and the subsequent flight from the scene of that murder. It's alleged that he shot and killed 46-year-old Jabali Dumas outside of a barber shop in a large outdoor shopping center in Silmar, California, a city next to Los Angeles, in August 2019. He's also a suspected member of the Pierce Street Gang. Cardenas is said to have fired nine rounds at Dumas out of a semi-automatic weapon from approximately 30 feet away. I've linked CCTV footage in the show notes and on the show's website, gracesonthecasepodcast.com, that shows both Cardenas walking toward the victim, who is off camera, and then him running away after the alleged murder. It's pretty chilling to watch if you want to watch it. Despite his ties to the Pierce Street Gang, it's unclear if Cardenas and Dumas ever knew each other before the murder or really what the motive in any of this was. It honestly just sounds like senseless violence. The FBI believe that Cardenas is hiding in either Mexico or Southern California, where he has friends. They also believe he may be working as a construction worker, and he's known to go by the nickname Dollar. In spot number two is Arnaldo Jimenez. Back in 2021, Jimenez was in spot number nine, but he has since moved up due to some recent developments. At the time of my original recording, spot number two was Alexis Flores, who I just covered as number four. So Jimenez is wanted for first-degree murder. It's alleged that he killed his wife, Estrella Carrera, on May 12, 2012, just one day after their wedding. The couple was married at City Hall in Chicago on May 11, 2012, and after the wedding, they celebrated with family and friends over dinner and then headed to a nightclub. It was reported that they left the club around 4 a.m. Authorities believe Jimenez and Carrera got into a heated argument in his car, which escalated to the murder. He allegedly stabbed his wife in the back seat of his Maserati, then dragged her body from the vehicle into her apartment in Burbank, Illinois. Her body was found in her bathtub, and she was still wearing the same dress she had worn for the wedding. He was charged with first-degree murder, and a state warrant was issued for his arrest on May 15, 2012. That warrant was then followed by a federal warrant after it was discovered that Jimenez had fled to avoid arrest. Once investigators began tracking Jimenez, they found his cell phone had pinged on May 12th in Chicago, then in Southern Illinois, then in Memphis, Tennessee, then Arkansas, all in the same day, prompting authorities to treat him as a fugitive. On May 13th, he made calls from Houston, Texas, and then Hidalgo, Mexico. So police actually arrested Jimenez's brother on drug charges in 2012, unrelated to the murder, but recently released new information in Jimenez's case found at his brother's home during that 2012 raid. While raiding the residence, they found Jimenez's Maserati, and the backseat was covered in blood belonging to Carrera. 
Because of this find, the FBI now believes that Jimenez traveled to his brother's home immediately following the murder, and his brother drove him from there to Mexico, dropping him off and returning to the United States to hide the Maserati. Authorities still believe that Jimenez is hiding out in Mexico. Prior to the crime, though, he resided in Chicago, Illinois, and he still has ties there. He also has two known aliases, Arnaldo Jimenez with a G and Arnaldo Rochelle Jimenez. And that leads us to our final fugitive, number one. In 2021, this spot was held by Jason Derrick Brown. Brown was wanted for first-degree murder and armed robbery with his connection to the armed robbery of an armored truck in Phoenix, Arizona, during which truck guard Robert Keith Palmores was shot and killed. Brown led authorities on a wild goose chase after fleeing the scene, traveling from Phoenix to Henderson, Nevada, Las Vegas, Orange County, California, down to San Diego, right near the Mexican border, and then backtracking all the way north to Portland, Oregon. During this, he swapped out his car multiple times. His final known location was the Portland International Airport, leading FBI to believe that he had successfully fled the country. While Brown is still a dangerous fugitive and his case is far from closed, he was removed from the list in late 2022. An FBI spokesperson said that after 15 years, extensive media coverage, and a continuing investigation, Brown had still not been located, and it was time for him to be replaced with another fugitive who would stand a better chance of being apprehended through the media exposure the list provides. That man, the current number one most wanted fugitive on the list, is Donald Eugene Fields II. Fields was just added on May 25th, 2023, a mere two weeks ago at the time that I'm recording this. And he's wanted for sex trafficking of at least one minor between 2013 and 2017. It's alleged that he knowingly attempted to recruit, entice, harbor, transport, and solicit a person whom he believed was under 18 years old and would be caused to engage in commercial sex acts because of his actions. In December of 2022, he was officially charged with one count of child sex trafficking in Franklin County, Missouri. Fields also had a co-defendant, Theodore J. Sartori, a 62-year-old man who was allegedly paying Fields in the form of cash, cars and motorcycles, vacations, and other gifts in exchange for access to the victim. Absolutely disgusting. So Sartori pled not guilty in December of 2022, and Fields' hearing was set for March of 2022. But when Fields failed to show up for that hearing and then was not at his home, a warrant was issued for his arrest. Fields has been known to travel to Florida and also reportedly made statements after his initial arrest, saying that he would flee to Mexico or beyond to avoid the law. Why they let this man out on bond is beyond me, especially if he was making statements like that, but... I guess it is what it is. He also is believed to be in a romantic relationship with a woman named Jennifer Iskriggs, who also goes by Jennifer Fields. She has a warrant for her arrest in Phelps County, Missouri, for not paying child support. Law enforcement believes that they could be traveling together and hiding out together. Donald Eugene Fields II has ties to Missouri, Indiana, Kentucky, as well as those statements he made about going to Mexico or possibly beyond. He's also known to go by his middle name, Eugene, or by Don. He has quite a few distinctive marks, including scars on his chest, his groin, his left calf, both legs and both knees, and a tribal print tattoo on his right shoulder. 
And that concludes this FBI Top 10 Most Wanted update. So thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoyed this episode. All of my source material is listed on the show's website and in the show notes. And you can contact me through there or Instagram DM at Graces on the Case Podcast for comments, corrections, or suggestions for future cases. Just another quick reminder that if you do have any information that helps with the apprehension of these fugitives or the investigation of their cases, you can submit an anonymous tip at fbi.gov tips. And yeah, that's all I've got. So I'll see you all for our next case.